Creative Brain Candy by Creators for Creators. Ma'am, I heard about your husband. I am truly sorry. He would have been happy to know that you were at my side. I am sorry for your loss as well. Come, Bobby. Allow me to introduce former MMC, Gunnery Sergeant Roberta Draper, my new liaison. Hello. It's an honor, Sergeant. Hi. <laughs> So does this mean we joined up? We're an independent ship. We don't fly anyone's flag. That's right. But this isn't a fight we can stay out of. I want you all to take a good look around. This is what Marco Inaros hates. This is what he is afraid of. Why he tried so hard to destroy you and your ship. All we have to do now is to turn every Belter, Martian, and Earther into this. This is how we win. One and welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. And this week, we discuss the penultimate season of the sci-fi series that showed us the power of blue goo, starring betrayal, budding awkward romances, and the bins, as well as more rock throwing at season five of The Expanse. He's the old mechanic who does all the wrong things for what he thinks are all the right reasons and gets hit, hit in the head a lot. And he eats fudge rounds in everybody's ears because he's an asshole. It's Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing good. It's a star crunch today, okay? Not a fudge oh, round. Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. I hate you. You know that, right? Hey, you don't have to edit this shit. I do. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. I just leave it and in. He's the guy who <laughs> and he's the guy who would rather win a fight than sacrifice himself to save some friends of a guy he doesn't really like. He's back again this week because he's obligated by court order. It's SP. How are you doing, SP? All right. I'm working with the judge here. I think it should be free pretty soon. By the way, Bull, I completely, I think he was one of the added characters this season. I know he's been in the books, but I think he was the best added character this season. And oh, by the way, you know, just to share in the love here. <laughs> yes. I, I actually have a star crunch. And, All uh, right. Yeah, yeah, and do you have just a bunch of, of snack got, things sitting around you, he, and you just have one so you can match Rob? He does. He has a plethora of boxes. He showed me a picture of it. So, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. No, couch me. Did you two plan this out? Nope. Nope. Uh, no. No. Can't, oh, can't say that. So we did. both of you are just natural assholes. Uh, uh, you know, hey, the shoe fits. Uh, I don't know. Star crunches are pretty good. They're way They're better bad. than the moon pie. Star crunches are great. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Anything's better than a moon pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with that. This is good. Mm. Yeah. All right. Rob, you got any news for us this week? Yeah, I do. 
uh, let's see. Let's switch over to this one. Um, oh, let's see. Hey, let's start with this one. All right. In 1992, NASA confirmed concrete evidence of extrasolar planets or exoplanets orbiting an alien star. Uh 2,300 light years away. It was a momentous occasion. So let's fast forward to March 21st, 2022. 30 years later, we are now at 5,005 exoplanets now documented in the library, each with its own unique characteristics. So they hit the 5,000 mark milestone. They're really proud of themselves. Uh, Whatever. Maybe we'll get to see some of them. Maybe we won't. But, you know, I needed news. It's science-related. You know how hard it is to find science-related news for a sci-fi show? It's kind of tough. That's why normally I do superhero news. But I don't seem to have any problems finding science fiction news every week. Well, that's, that's just because you're better than it at it than I am, I guess. Um, you know, the the other science uh, fiction news that I have that's not really science fiction is that uh, apparently Morbius sucks balls. Um, oh, is that out now? Well, there's some early screeners and... Uh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. It's, it sucks balls. So you, you brought your superhero news back into my sci-fi show. Yeah, why not? Why not? Perfect. All right, yeah. and let's uh, swing back on over to... Um, you know, this one's more for for James, who's not here. This one, this one would have been more entertaining if James was here. Um, but uh, NASA is. But yet you brought it anyway. Yeah, yeah. NASA, NASA's been under fire a little bit uh, because of the James Webb Space Telescope, um, specifically the LGBTQ community, um, has a little bit of an issue with them naming the telescope after James Webb, a uh, uh, administrator of NASA in the 60s, who apparently um, had a bit of a problem with the gays and uh, allegedly fired a bunch of people because he thought they were gay. Um, Is there any documentation for that? Because I know they had the... NASA historian and uh, yeah. another historian that were looking into it, and they couldn't find any evidence of any of this. Yeah, stuff. so some new documents obtained under a Freedom of Information request uh, show that NASA was aware of a 1969 court case uh, filed by a former NASA employee who was fired in 1963 because supervisors thought he was gay. Um, and so back in, I think it was 2021... Uh, yeah, early 2021, a bunch of uh, astronomers petitioned NASA to change the name of the telescope um, because it contributed to the, because of James Webb's uh, contributions to the Lavender Scare uh, that targeted the LGBTQ community. Um, and NASA basically dismissed it, saying it, uh, had no evidence supporting that allegation, and now new documents have come out. So, you know, whatever. Personally, I think the James Webb Telescope was named after a, a guy at my office 
um, whose name is James Webb, and it's the same <laughs> way. It's spelled the same way. And uh, I always ask him how his telescope's doing, and he says it's doing pretty good. And you say, shut up, get away from me? No, no. We just get a kind of a kick out of it. You know, anyway. actually, I'm all for this. First of all, it if this is true, it would be the right thing to do to rename it. But second of it all, would be. if they do rename it, that means that they would have to fly up there and then they would have to put, you know, stickers of the new name over the old name on the spacecraft itself, which means you would have to go up there and repair it and resupply it. Well, so, that would be a manned space mission. Well, you could, well, yeah. not necessarily, but No, no, no. If, you can't you can't take a you can't send a robot you, up there. You mean a crewed space mission? Yeah. Okay, don't don't say the things that NASA was accused of and oh. then say oh. manned space mission. You have to say crewed space I mission. S- I said manned like humaned. No, it, no, you cannot say that. You can't say now, that anymore? No, it is crude. Oh. The PC term is crude. Okay, okay. So it's a crude, but then that kind of sounds like it, it was just like haphazardly thrown together. Yeah, like it was... I agree, and I've been... It was like last second, <laughs> like last second. Okay, guys, let's find, All right, so find the nearest I, dudes and strap them to a rocket, see what happens. Or dudettes. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I appreciate the, the, the fact that, you know, they... They have some very strong feelings about about his, you know, homophobia or his anti-gay stance, and and th- of course that wasn't, you know, right firing people because of their sexuality, but it was the '60s, and that's that that is what happened. However, James Webb did have, you know, a lot of influence over uh, the 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 space and 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 NASA's uh, mission back in the '60s. I mean, that's that's why they dedicated the the satellite to him and so i don't think necessarily the satellite is celebrating his anti-gay views i think the satellite is celebrating his contributions to space exploration and and nasa i don't know that changing the satellite's name is is the right thing to do even if he was you know firing people because they were gay of course that's not the right thing to do and i don't think anybody should uh, celebrate him for that, but do we all have to be perfect people? I mean, nobody is nobody is perfect, and I'm sick of the the overwhelming persecution for people acting within the norms of their time, right? And 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 getting getting bombed because of it, because of you know years later when, One of the- when things have changed. One of the reasons why this is so important or so in the spotlight is you're talking about a governmental organization. So if the government itself would, quote unquote, support that viewpoint through the naming of something, then that's, I think, where a key issue lies legally. I don't want to get into it too far, but I could see the fact that um, why this would be important because it would set precedence. But again, I mean, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody who is perfect, who who doesn't have black marks in their history or or their conduct. Oh, that's even easy. today. It's whoever the media decides is perfect. Well, but I mean, do we do that? Yeah. We, is that where we're going right now? We, yeah, we did it with the last election. I think that's a little different. No, I 
would argue that it would be the same and and that whatever mainstream media decides happens to be where everybody tends to go these days. I think it, Okay, well, but that that's that's a whole other can of worms and a whole other issue. Yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a science-based thing, so probably not best right. to discuss it on this podcast. By the way, one of the things that we should discuss is the fact that NASA since we talked last time actually went through and displayed the SLS on the launch pad on the day that they said they were going to do it. Well, displayed. Yep. Displayed. They rolled they rolled it out. It was displayed right there. Yeah. And then and then they but did they didn't nothing launch. with it. Well, it, it was a wet rehearsal. They went down to T minus 10 seconds and then they cut it off. That's what they were supposed to do. Oh, I thought they were launching. No, they were just rolling it out. <laughs> just rolling it out. Okay. Oh, congratulations. You have something that sits on a rover. Does it, it work? No. Well, work to T minus 10. That doesn't mean anything. So, <laughs> that's just that's like that's like uh, that's like getting to second base and then getting blue balls. Well, here's the thing, right? So I think the government, what they're trying to do is they're trying to force SpaceX's Starship to be delayed so that through the environmental assessment, so that the SLS will be the first out of the two to launch, so they can say they launched the biggest rocket this planet's ever known until. The Starship launches the next day, the next week, the next month, whenever, because Starship will be the biggest, most powerful rocket that this planet has ever sent into orbit. So, well, yeah, but with a show of hands, who all thinks that the SLS is actually going to launch? Wait, wait, you do know this is a podcast. We, you can't see our hands. Yeah, but my know, hand is was, raised. Of course it is. Well, yeah, you said show of hands. I've raised my hand. I, th- I think that was, wait, that was the joke you had. Wait, you think who who thinks it's gonna? Oh no, my hand's not yeah. raised. No, I take that back. <laughs> who thinks that the SLS is actually going to launch? I think it's vaporware. I see no hands, so I, I think it's vaporware. I think it's actually going to launch now. Whether it makes it off the pad or makes it into orbit, that's an entirely different thing. Actually, when you think about it, since it is a bunch of recycled parts from the shuttle program, it should at least launch into the first stage. So whether it hey. makes it. Beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, a bunch of recycled parts from the shuttle program, yet it's taken them this long and to go woefully over budget to make it, make it happen. Yes. That There's is a cool. lot of bureaucracy yeah. in, in NASA. That is correct, yeah. So I've got one more. Um, Whoa, well, four this week? Well, see, the Overachiever. Yeah, that Mobius one I didn't really count. Um, I just had to bring in some superhero news, and that's just something that I saw. Um, so the last thing that I've got, and I sent you guys some images, is that the Solar Orbiter uh, did a full, um, it did a extreme ultraviolet imager um, in the highest resolution ever recorded of the sun, of the uh, outer atmosphere um, that has ever been taken. So is the this, first, is this the ahead. Parker probe? Is that what this is? The Parker uh, probe. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't say. It just says <laughs> you the, broke Rob. <laughs> it just says the solar orbiters. So all the surface orbiters, or it's the solar orbiter. Okay. Yeah, aren't there like three satellites in orbit around the sun well, that I, are taking I, readings I, and pictures? Yeah, fuck if I know, dude. Just let me do my news. <laughs> God bless. Oh, okay, so there's the Parker Solar Pro- Probe. 
and mm-hmm. then the solar orbiter. That's okay. all I was wondering was which one are we talking about? Because the, the solar orbiter. Okay. Parker is not involved in this one. Um, so that first image I sent you, that is uh, taken from the extreme ultraviolet imager. Uh, it's a high-resolution thing. Basically, they are 75 million kilometers away, um, and you can just see in the, about the 2 o'clock position, that is a uh, little dot uh, which represents Earth compared to the size of the sun. So uh, that was kind of interesting. It uh, it's basically twenty five individual images uh, that take care, that uh, are of the entire sun, and to put that into frame of reference, um, the final image contains more than eighty three million pixels in a ninety one forty eight by ninety one twelve pixel grid. Uh, which is basically 10 times better than what a 4K TV can display. So it is lots and lots of pixels. Uh, The second sets of uh, photos there, uh, they also took some images uh, from the, uh, of a wavelength of 17 nanometers uh, of the ultraviolet spectrum to uh, reveal the sun's upper atmosphere and uh, the different temperatures. Uh, so it took, uh, it took pictures at, um, let's see what the degrees were here. We've got um, hydrogen gas at uh, 10,000 degrees, which is uh, the purple. And then you've got the blue, which is, uh, represents the carbon at 32,000 degrees, all in Celsius. Green is the oxygen at 320,000 degrees. And then the yellow uh, to neon uh, uh, is neon at 300 and, or I'm sorry, 630,000 degrees. Uh, So that's just, uh, you know, they. That's all Celsius. All Celsius, yeah. So it's just, it's super hot. Kind of like Jason's ass. It is. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, um, and everybody can see those pictures when we post it on the little thingy. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of cool. We got some very high-res uh, images, and over in the 8 o'clock position, there is something uh, spewing out of the uh, sun that helps uh, that helps contribute to the solar winds and stuff like that. It's a... Uh, Solar flare? No, it's not a solar flare. What did they call it? Um, solar ejecta? Corona mass ejection? Uh, let's see. Edge of the sun. Dark filaments. It just says dark filaments can be seen projecting projecting away from the surface. These are prone to erupt following uh, coronal gases. So creating space weather storms is what they were calling it. So, yeah, maybe it was a, an ejecta, maybe... They didn't really say, but but it was interesting that they caught one in the picture. So, because, all right, yeah, I've got I've got another one. <laughs> oh my god! Research on the fly. No, no, this one's just uh, uh this one's real quick. Uh, Amazon bought MGM for eight and a half billion. Yeah, that that's been in the works for a while. Yeah, yeah. well, it's official now. So the one thing that passed. I have not heard is what the plans are or any mention thereof of the Stargate IP. 
Yeah, they haven't said anything as far as if they're going to move forward with any of that. Um, but, you know, they got 007, Stargate. Um, well, there's a whole, whole library pl- of, yeah, whole yeah, plethora. of MGM stuff. So yeah. good luck Lots finding that on any streaming service other than Amazon once the uh, initial contract expires on all of that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. So... All right, uh, let's hear from another podcast on the network, shall we? Looking forward to it. Hey, everyone. I'm John. I'm Andrew. And I'm Kevin. And we are the Video Video Game Game Lounge Lounge Podcast. Podcast. What are you guys doing? You're supposed to do it together, Kevin. (laughs) Title over 60. All right, yes, this is the Video Game Lounge Podcast. Podcast not here for notes and news, but to talk games and drink brews. Join us every other Monday. Where we talk about what you're drinking, what you're playing, and most importantly, each episode we discuss games of past, present, and the involvement it may or may not have influenced us. Oh, that was quick. That's what she said. Got him. All right, and you can catch them on creativebraincandy.com. Definitely go check them out and all the other podcasts that we have out there. So who's ready for a pod crawl? Let's oh, do it. I am. Let's do this. We can call it, I don't know, say a pod Crawl. The pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Pod crawl. Excellent. Insert it deep. Pod crawl. Kind of like a space suppository full of information. Holden and Naomi are on Tycho getting some R&R, and the Rossi is getting some needed repairs. Amos is on Earth settling affairs for his recently deceased adopted mom, and Alex is heading to Mars to try and patch things up with the family he left behind. Fred has followed through with his promise to get Naomi information about her son, and it turns out he's on Palace Station, her old hangout. She tells Holden she's going to take a sabbatical and see if she can save her son from making bad decisions, proving that the futility of moms trying to save their sons from their own idiocy will never end, even hundreds of years into the future. Holden isn't keen on the idea, but goes along with it. Back on Earth, Amos meets his mom-not-mom's boy toy and then goes to his kid brother, who is the kingpin of Baltimore to ask a favor and rehash some old times over tequila. Alex has a talk with his estranged wife who tells him to beat sand, and then reaches out to his kid who's out camping in the woods on Mars somewhere. He later hooks up with Bobby at whatever passes for a roadhouse in the future where Bobby throws attitude and leaves in a huff. Bobby is working with Absarla trying to track down an illegal weapons smuggling ring and coming up short as she works her way up the food chain. Naomi makes it to Palace Station and finds some old friends, and later comes face to face with her kid. As a mea culpa she gives him an old beater of a ship, which he then uses to kidnap her and takes her back to his dad. On Tycho, Holden is trying to convince Fred that holding on to the protomolecule is a bad idea, and he's proven correct when the Free Navy kills Fred and steals the sample from his safe using an impervious crab bot. Holden is about to take the Rossi out to exact some righteous vengeance when he gets a desperate communique from Naomi come Sid telling him the reactor was sabotaged. While Holden starts repairs, Naomi is locked away but has a heart-to-heart with her kid trying to shove some reason in his hormone-filled brain, but his father has conditioned him too well, and Philip decides to use the junker his mom gave him as a trap to blow up the Rossi. Naomi isn't going to let someone explode her boy toy without a fight, so she takes a walk outside to the other ship, and then spends the next who knows how many days trying to get people, including Alex and Bobby in the Razorback, to stay away from it so they don't explode. She finally resorts to bailing out and using sign language to keep Alex and Bobby away, and Bobby comes to save her from the black. However, while Bobby was away, Alex suffers a stroke from the G's he and Bobby were pulling, and takes his final ride into the sunset. Back on Earth, 
Amos visits Clarissa in the pen, rocks fall and almost everybody dies. Amos and Clarissa climb out of the rubble and start to make their way back to Baltimore to find help. They eventually hook back up with Amos's brother, and then head to Rich People's Island to score a suborbital shuttle that will take them to the moon. Don't ask. Back on the moon, everybody joins back up, say their brief goodbyes to Alex, and are given the gerb of being an independent contractor in the war against the Free Navy. Of Sarla gives an inspiring speech about bringing people together and Roll Marco assaulting the ring, taking it over and controlling the portals to other worlds, credits. All right, season five of The Expanse. So we are on the next to the last season. Season six is actually a really short one. It's only six episodes, but this one was a full 10 episode season. I think, in my opinion, this is probably the weakest season of the series, and I'll get into some of the reasons why. But before we talk about that, I've been wanting to talk about this for the last couple episodes, and I just keep forgetting. But can we talk about how fucking what a garbage fire of an application the Amazon app is? I am hard pressed to find a really good application or a streaming application to go through multiple devices. Some work better on other devices than the ones that you might have. Some work better on a computer. Some work better on a tablet. Some work better actually streaming on screen. So I think it's hit or miss across the board. If you're watching it on a computer, which I don't recommend, I recommend your best screen, your best sound device or sound board or whatever you got. I recommend watching the series there because the CGI is that phenomenal and it really is well cinematically done. But if you happen to be watching it on a PC, it's pretty easy to navigate. So what's your garbage dumpster fire claim here based on? Okay, well, let's talk about it. So first, navigating around, and I'm using the Amazon app on an Apple TV. Navigating around in that app to find anything is an act of futility. Just the way they have things organized is fucking stupid. Using their search functionality is a pain in the ass. But not only that, once you finally find something to watch and you start watching it, every time I back out of a show and want to go back to like the main menu, the fucking app locks up on me and I have to force close it and then reopen it. Mm. Do you have an older Apple TV device? No, it's an Apple TV 4K. Okay. So I, I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say I I use a uh, Amazon Fire uh, TV Live, so it's not the Cube thing. It's it's the generation before that, and I have absolutely no problem. Searching's easy. In fact, I, all I got to do is hit a button and go the Expanse, and Alexa goes here you go, and then I'm good to go. So uh, maybe. I don't know. That's all I ever watch it on is the the Fire TV. So maybe I have it's optimized issues. for that. Yeah, I have issues with Disney Plus on just about anything trying to search yeah. for it. So one of the things we're watching on Legends of Shield is X Men: The Animated Series. Trying to find that anywhere in the app itself is a pain in the rear end. I can't get to it in like less than like I, I forget I counted. It was like fourteen or fifteen clicks in order to get it. And it's not all the time in my most recently watched, so I can't go down there. And then Apple TV on just about any app is the worst app that I've run across. The, the Apple TV Plus app, not the uh, Apple TV hardware. The Apple TV Plus app is just horrendous. And you often, you can't restart where 
yes you stopped you have to start all over again at the beginning like i'm watching foundation and like well i know i've watched 10 minutes of this episode but now i gotta start all over again or worse yet i've watched 40 minutes of this episode i gotta start all over again and then fast forward to the point where i think i am so i don't think it's just prime video that's the issue i think they all have issues no they all have issues but prime video is is by far the worst so I've already watched this series multiple times. And so I've got, you know, the the episodes mostly watched in my in my mm-hmm. list. And so whenever I go back to watch an episode that I've already watched, it starts it where I've already watched it. There's no where to restart. Oh, because no. when you yeah. when you go to choose the episode, the main screen is still on the episode that you were on last time. So you can't restart it because then you're restarting that episode. But when you click on it to, to make it, uh, to give it focus or to activate that episode, it goes directly into that episode. There's no restart function there. And usually I'm at the point where it's going to start the next episode. And if you let it roll over to the next episode, then the next episode is queued up in the main menu. And if you restart that, well, then you're an episode ahead. And so trying to restart a fucking show in the Amazon app is just, I mean, it's like, hammering your balls with a hammer well the the live tv uh, you know you select the episode and it has the option you can either resume or right next to it it says watch from beginning and i haven't had i haven't had any problems like that that you're describing just and that might be because i'm on their native platform right well but i mean it's not that difficult to mimic functionality on other platforms I think they do it to draw people to their native platform, but fuck them. I don't even like the fire sticks that I have. All right. All right. Well, that was my rant. So season yeah. five. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> season five. I, I think this is probably the weakest episode. Don't get me wrong. I think it's still a good episode, but it's probably the weakest episode of the series. Uh, just because they split everybody up. There's too many storylines that you're trying to follow. And I think too many storylines are trying to take time uh, out of a very limited number of episodes that they have available. I don't think they were able to flesh out all of these these story arcs. Season five is pretty weak. I will go back and forth between season four and season five. Season six has its own issues just because it's six episodes. But I was trying to think of how I would quantify or name this season like we talked about before season one is the mystery of julie mao season two is the eros to venus and then uh the proto molecule saying i'm still doing my own thing so go punt season three is the rise of avasolara and the race to the ring season four is the ring rush and farewell to miller so season five i was like scratching my head because it's almost like we take a pause right so i called it character backstories and what remains in the soul system because we didn't talk too much outside of the ring or protomolecule i know there was some but it was so small in comparison to the other seasons it was emotional it was character driven and because of that uh great performances but it was not the most entertaining to me yeah i agree so i i think season five was a, a bit of character backstory, a bit of character development for uh, some of the characters that you haven't seen a lot of, like Alex and Amos. Um, and I think it, a lot of it was just a setup for season six. I'm not sure at this point if they had anticipated beyond 
a season six or if they had already decided that season six was going to be the last season at this point. You can't really tell by the way that they shaped this season. When season five was announced, the premiere date was announced. It was announced that season six was renewed, but that would be the last season. So I don't think when they were in the creative stage with season five, if they knew that season six was going to be their last season. Yeah. And and I think season six probably suffered a little bit because of of that, because season six was definitely a short season. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit more in season six. Although, well, we'll get into season six next week or next episode. So I don't want to, I don't want to delve too much into season six. Yeah. yeah, Season five. Episode two. Don't, don't spoil (laughs) anything yet. Oh, you haven't seen season six yet? No, no. I'm on episode two. I'm, I'm ahead of the game. Technically. J.R.R. Martin came, J.R.R. Martin came in to write the remaining parts of the season. And you can guess what happens. Everyone dies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Cool. Um, no, so uh, season five, we we saw Philip and Marco at the end of season four whenever they uh, spaced Ashford. Um, and then they hinted towards, you know, them throwing rocks at Earth at the end of season four. Uh, they showed the stealth tech uh, coding that one rock and then uh, launching it. But you you weren't quite... You weren't quite sure where until uh, Marco was talking to Ashford and bragging that uh, that Belter's visions weren't big enough, um, and he was gonna he was gonna change that. So uh, rocks fall on Earth. I think what they had three hits, two three three in the show, uh, three in the show, or in yeah. the yeah. Um, I, you know, they do insinuate in season six that it was a lot more after that, but. Uh, three that they showed yeah so three hits take took out like millions of people did yeah. massive amounts of damage to uh, uh both you know civilian atlantic. centers and and the climate itself yeah it was in the atlantic uh sounded like one in africa and then where was the third one uh, it was in asia somewhere asia somewhere or russia area yeah well, it was in Asia because she was she was in Asia whenever the the rock hit. And oh, that's the, right, that's right. The, the, the secretary Prime general, your yeah. secretary general. Yeah. Yep. Can, can we talk about the asteroids for a second? Sure. Yeah. They're rocks. They're, They're rocks. Big rocks. But I want to put it in context for people that don't have a, a good concept of what these rocks can actually do and how big they are. So the rock that hit the Earth in the expanse was roughly about 90 meters. And that's based on the conversation that they had with the doctor in the uh, Luna bar, uh, the fragments of the one that broke up. They were estimating it about 90 meters across. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing that all of them are in the same sort of class. So about 90, maybe 100 meters, something like that. So roughly the size of a football field. Re- roughly the size of a football field. Okay. The asteroid or Ahmed or whatever you want to call it, that exploded over Tunguska in Mm -hmm. the early 1900s. I think it was 1908, if I'm remembering correctly. It might be off on the date a little bit there. That was estimated because there was no fragments ever found of it because it exploded up in the air. But that was estimated to be somewhere between 164 and 200 meters across. So double the size of the rocks that hit the Earth in the expanse. Now, the big one... Yeah, go ahead. 
But it also depends upon the composition of the asteroid. So we're not sure exactly what the composition of the one above Tunguska was. And these were confirmed to be iron nickel. nickel. Yeah. Yep. To do the, uh, the most amount of damage. Mass, You're absolutely yeah. right. Right. Because yeah. so th- all that heat would turn it into hard steel, right? Not steel, but would harden it. It wouldn't necessarily break They it wouldn't up. vaporize, yeah. Yeah. So the one that killed off the dinosaurs, the Chicxulub, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, Chicxulub, uh, is a 10 kilometers across. That was the one that hit a million years ago and killed all the dinosaurs, 10 kilometers across. So that was a life-ending impact with that one. I don't know about the most impact being the iron core or not, because the Tunguska one leveled an awful lot of of a land by exploding above land so there's different right. types of explosions and devastations that could occur now i think that he put the asteroid in the ocean off the east coast to do the massive amount of damage to the east coast of north america because so many of those cities were being protected from Bio-walls. rising seawalls yeah seawalls yeah. so they were completely devastated and flooded out by the resulting tidal wave that came so i think he was thinking in terms of that when he was doing it so anyway anybody out there that's listening to this is like well did they get it right as far as the damage that these asteroids created i think so for the most part and i like this damage estimate a lot more than i like the damage estimate for the nuke that hit south america before because i have issues with that and we talked about that back a couple seasons so anyway there's your asteroid 101 there so what do you think about the spacewalk that naomi took so when she she was in uh she was in vacuum for an estimated what about 30 seconds half a minute between one ship to the other okay yeah and she looked like she was you know pretty fucked up by the time she got to the other ship uh she had a lot radiation. of edema. Yeah, radiation She burns. had some radiation burning from, you know, cosmic rays, things like that. She probably had a pretty good case of the bins at that point, too. You think she would have survived? So she did inject herself with... Uh, oxygenated uh, blood. Uh, oxygenated yeah. blood or whatever they're calling that back then. Uh, or, well, they, they, you know. they called it because they used it on the reporter, too, whenever they saved her from the, the shipping crate. It was the same thing. Oh, okay. You said okay. Yeah, yeah. Oxygenated blood. It, you know, so that's supposed to be a a give you a little bit extra time. It's like a AED, I guess, space AED. Well, that kept her from passing out, right? And and it kept. Uh, I I guess it's plausible. I mean, I haven't done a lot of research onto the the uh, the effects of vacuum on the human body. I know that we have got some some research or some data on that yes, or at least is, some conjecture yeah what she did was completely plausible uh would everybody survive that no it would depend on your ability to withstand those sorts of environments and i would think naomi being a belter her entire life was subjected right. to lower atmospheric conditions which prevent her from staying on the surface of the planet but enable her to survive brief encounters like this. Yeah, I've got a question about that too. 
So they keep saying that belters can't handle uh, long periods of G-forces, but we've already established that when they move through space, they're anywhere from one-third to uh, a full G as they're traversing between uh, between areas because they don't do just a uh, a burn and drift. They do a continuous burn. Uh, Sometimes. From point A to point B. Sometimes, yeah. We've never seen them do just a, a, a drift unless they had something that they had to do. Yeah, because unless of they were that. working on something, yeah. Right. So, so, so... So most if of the if, time it was it, it was third it was one third half G somewhere in there. Very rarely did they go full G unless they were ramping up for for combat or something like that. Um, okay, it, but but my question is why would that why would that preclude them from being able to adjust to gravitational uh, planetary gravitation? I mean, they're already being exposed to G's out in space, so their 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 body should be used at least somewhat accustomed to G forces uh, just from traversing in space. So a lot of the a lot of the belters came from either uh, Ceres or some other place that that had at least partial gravity. So the 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 I th- the prevailing thinking in the books themselves. Belter, and they don't. They showed this a little bit right at the beginning of of the series, but didn't focus on it any further than that. Was that uh, you know they're naturally longer, they're elongated uh, belters uh, because they don't have the gravity on them. Most sure. of the time, most of the time, when you are going at those higher G's, you know, higher being over that half G, you're in a crash couch. And, and it it has its gel that conforms to it and absorbs those G's to to make it easier on your body. But that's um, not true because they're walking around. That's why in, they don't the show, need the mag. Yes, in the show they're walking around. Uh, but when when they typically when they're at when they go past that that third or half G, they're in the couches. Uh, most of the time, uh, cruising speed is in the books was. Uh, you know, third half G somewhere in there. Uh, very rarely was it the one G or the extra. You know, if they go over one G, they were giving you, uh, giving you the juice to keep you uh, lucid. Um, and then the other thing that they've mentioned in the books is with belters, since their bodies are elongated, uh, it it comes down to their bones, their bone density being slightly different and they can't handle the downward pressure from being on a on a planet uh you you know the 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 more or less the grinding of the bones their bones are brittle um i guess it's uh akin to maybe what osteoporosis or something like that you know with a brittle bone disease um basically belters are like that so yeah see that still the, doesn't make sense. Go ahead. Yeah. In the show, they it's slightly different because they're even though there's bone density, I believe that was brought up like in the very first episode or the second episode when Avastarla had was, the yeah. belter on the hooks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But later on, when Naomi is actually on the planet, what they key in on is the cardiovascular system. Okay. And the fact yeah, yeah. that the heart cannot beat hard enough to pump the blood 
in those sorts of gravity for sustained times. Now, remember, she's on the planet for a long time before she starts to experience symptoms and would have been on the planet. A couple days, yeah. Yeah, even longer than that before she would actually die. If you're actually in space and you're experiencing 1G for a couple of days as you're burning around the system, then you would have rest at a certain point, right? So, Well, but there's no way you can burn around the system in a couple of days. I think we well, yeah. we established that you know the the burns between these planetary bodies were taking a couple of weeks, if not months. If you're burning at one G, it's actually not. It, it's a lot quicker than yeah, months. It's an exponential um, jump. Seeing what uh, when when SP posted that one thing a few episodes ago, it was it was like it was exponential in terms of time based off of the 1G or what, or half G or third G uh, constant thing. I got to find that because I don't remember. Yeah, uh, it was way up there. Because um, we, yeah, we established it was what, like a couple, it was a couple weeks if, from if Uranus? Planet, yeah, if the planets are aligned correctly, you could get from the Earth out to the ring in just a matter of a couple of days with a 1G burn. Yeah. Okay. Time. So, at the closest, when when Neptune and, and Earth are the closest to each other, if these numbers are correct, you could get there in a little over fifteen days. At a constant, what does it say? Well, it doesn't say how fast. Well, one G acceleration with a flip maneuver in the middle. Yeah. So if you do half a G, it a lot longer that. than well longer because the movement of the planets and stuff like that but yeah you're roughly talking about that magnitude of time it's in in the books talking to the authors they said it was weeks and months so i the books and the I, tv show they have different aspects of it and i think the tv show is because and rob mentioned it the very first podcast that we did very first season was one of his quabbles was the expanse of time yeah but if you're talking about how much these ships burn and at what level they burn at in the tv show i can see that being a little bit different and faster passage of time than in the uh, in the books but yes all of the above uh, so then why concerns. wouldn't Martians also be afflicted? Maybe not to the extent that, that Belters are, so, but Mars so, doesn't have the same gravity. Yes, but all Martians train at 1G. No, oh. Bobby and them trained at 1G. Yeah, yeah. No, not but, all Martians. Not all Martians, but I yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. A, certain per, a certain percentage would, but it would be a lower percentage because they are uh, at a higher level of gravity as they're growing up. I mean, there's a difference between Martian gravity and the gravity available on Ceres or a palace. That's all artificial, and they probably keep it at a third G or so. No, Ceres has its own gravity. That's why it's round. Yeah, but it's a lot. It's a lot smaller, right? So it is. You're getting a lot less of the effects of gravity as your body is growing up. I would venture to say you know there's been a lot especially in this season talking about earthers that are out in the belt like fred johnson bull and holden for example i would venture to say holden since he's been out in you got to go back to his military service he's been out 
off of Earth gravity for a long time. I would say that even though his body was born on Earth and he grew up on Earth. Yeah, there's got to be some atrophy. Yeah, there's definitely some atrophy in even yeah. Holden. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's any atrophy. And Amos has been out there for quite a while, too. I would agree. Not as long as well, Holden. Amos is just a fucking brick. <laughs> I mean, he is, he, is, he is built stock, you know? I mean... I think he, he just, gains mass. He just has poor choice. Although West Ch- Chatham, Chatham, West Chatham, Chatham, is, yeah. is it amazing? If you've ever heard him talk at a panel or he's got a podcast out there and you listen to him, he's a wealth of information. The guy is smart and he is entertaining and he's funny. He's definitely in the right business of being an actor, and he's got a lot of history being an actor. We haven't really talked about the fact that some of these actors have been around for a while and done a lot of things and Wes or Amos or Timothy, if you want to even go there in in this season, uh, he has got an amazing past. So just look him up on IMDb and I'll bet you run into something that you've liked that you've watched him in before. Yeah. He got his acting start in the Navy. He was on a, an aircraft carrier and they were, they were pulling uh, sailors uh, to act as extras. can't remember what movie it was, but he was one picked, and that was something that he had always wanted to do. So after he got out of the Navy, that's what he pursued. I had a small quabble with this this season. You know, we talked about it being weak. I think the Secretary General dying, and then they find this rando guy for all of, like, two days... Uh, I, I think it was just a, an, an excuse to say, oh, okay, see, Avicelara wasn't actually going to take over. She was going to play ball. But then they're like, oh, no, we need her to, we need her to be the secretary general because, you know, that's what she's good at type of deal. I, th- I thought it was kind of a, uh, why did they even do that? You know, in the because the guy was in, basically one episode you know tail end of one beginning of another and then he got overthrown it seemed a little she lost she lost the election hard oh she did and we watched it all last season she lost it hard she was outside the government she was given an honorary post which in grand schemes if you think about it is both very powerful and very ironic because she was the, I don't know if you guys caught what she was doing, but she was the head of determining what people went where in the ring. So very powerful position if you take it that Earth can control that sort of stuff. But as we talked about last time, Earth should not be the one controlling that stuff. Right. And, it, and it should be, at the very least, equally shared amongst Belters and Mars and Earth, at the very least, if not weighted more towards the Belters, in my opinion. She has some concerns about what's out there. We saw what happened last season in Ilias. But she is outside of the government and has no claim at all to be Secretary General. And there has to be a line of succession. And just how big the government is in the U.N., there had to be somebody that survived that was not her or was a legitimate line of succession. And so they found somebody and actually they did a nod to Battlestar Galactic. I don't know if you caught that or not, because 
she asked him, aren't you the secretary of education? Which the president in Battlestar Galactica was right. secretary of education. So that's why that was thrown in there. So no, no, I'm secretary of transportation. But he is one of those guys. He was at the pinnacle of his career, should not have gone any further. David Pastor is the character's name. And he, if he got any farther, is just one of those guys who's promoted to a spot that he's ultimately going to fail at. So he never should have been in that position. Uh, he was getting swayed the wrong way. He made a very bad decision, which will have ongoing ramifications. It was the attack on Palace that actually happened. They didn't show it, but that, that happened. And that's just going to affect everything. And I don't think that Christian is going to be, maybe because of her mistakes and she's learned something, but she wasn't a good secretary general. She was a great deputy, but she's not a good prime. Unfortunately, that's all they got left. I don't think she had enough time in the secretary general spot to be a good secretary general. I mean, yeah, they, they had elections shortly after she got the post after right. what's his face stepped down. Yeah, he was. And so he, most, she stepped up to it. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, so right? most of her time behind the desk was campaigning to stay behind the desk. Which okay. is interesting because uh, she officially has never been elected a secretary general, yet has served it twice now. Well, no. She was elected this last time. The vote no, of no confidence. A, vote of no confidence, yeah. Well, that, well, the vote of no confidence, they, they vote it down and then you re-elect. Yeah, that's, yeah but it so, was elected by the, the ministers, not by the people. It's election. Yeah. Emergency election. It was a loophole. <laughs> That's basically it's not a all. loophole. It was <laughs> it was a loophole. It was basically they found a loophole to be able to put her back in pl- power. No, I mean the a vote of no confidence in a parliamentary government is there for a reason. It's been used in real life several times. And she's keen on what is going on, and she's very good at piecing the information together, and at, more importantly, asking the right questions. Because once you ask the right questions, then you start to get what's really the motivations behind things and what's really the right answers, which is why she stumbled on the fact that these were asteroid bombs coming from Marco and that they needed to turn the, I forget what sensors they were, but the sensors that were the the Sentinel satellites, Sentinel satellites. Yeah. That were pointed at Mars towards asteroid defense instead. And that nobody's really worried about Mars anymore, which is a whole different side of the discussion that we need to have. But she pieces that all together. But because of the way the election went down, Nancy Gao doesn't want to hear from her. She wants to run her own campaign. She, I don't even know why she chose Christian to be even a remote part of the administration other than to keep her under her thumb at a point where she wouldn't be a thorn in her side, but she becomes a thorn in her side and she instructs everybody, just don't take her phone calls. We've got better things to do. She is not running this government. I don't know exactly what she said, but one of those things was probably said. And so nobody was taking her phone calls. And that was to Nancy Gao's detriment because she got hit by one of the asteroids because the plane that she was on, UN-1, got hit in the shockwave. And if it would have been in space... Would have been no big deal because she wouldn't have been hit by the shockwave, but she was in the atmosphere, so she got hit by the shockwave, and she, uh, yeah, was no more. And 
she is only to blame for herself for not asking the right questions. She should have been asking the right questions, and she wasn't. Well, but Avasarala also has the history as being, you know, the head spy. She was she was the diplomat, the head diplomat for the UN. Of course, with uh, being the head diplomat or the Secretary of State or the Undersecretary of of state as she was the, you know, she controls the spy network. So she's used to asking those questions. Uh, another question I got, um, you know, there, there was that whole, uh, controversy of, uh, from Cass Anvar, right. Of, oh uh, yeah. Yep. Misconduct. Yeah. And that's Did why that... they killed off Alex. Okay. Uh, that's what I was going to ask that that came up while they were filming. Correct. Yes. Okay. At the well, no, 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 no. They had already filmed. They were in post production at this point. Okay. And so that's why kind of you get this paused uh, scene in the Razorback with some uh, CGI blood. And oh, um, so that was a paused scene. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a still scene that they kind of made it look like it was it was live. Okay. Um, but yeah, and and that's why you you hear things in the background, um, mm-hmm. his thoughts, his final thoughts in the background. Well, oh, what a ride. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's, he's gone because they had to, I, I they, they didn't have plans on killing him off until, yeah. uh, the, the things came out that he was, yeah. you know, grabbing well, he people. doesn't, yeah. And he doesn't die in the books. Uh, you, you right. know, all, all four of them are still very much alive and old. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, because after season six, it's it, they jump forward it's a 30, like thirty years. Yeah, it's a thirty-year jump uh, after the f- whole free navy thing uh, mm-hmm. arc. Yep, and you so get they, to see the La, Lacona, Laconia uh, so incursion. The announcement came out in September. I want to say September twenty twenty, and that he would not be returning for a final season. And I think his last activity on social media was in like July. So he knew something was going on. This well, was not a surprise. Yeah. So they had started investigating it before they announced he wouldn't be back on the show. Yeah. It's just so sad it was as, that a, they, as a result of the investigation that they did, that they, they released him from his contract. And it's just sad that they had to kill him off versus recasting because I do like the character and the, and his, Rob just said the character is around for quite some more time. I mean, mm-hmm. they've messed around with characters already. They've added some that are amalgamations. They've taken some away. They've had characters at different points in time in the story than they are in the books. So it's not like this sort of thing hasn't happened before. But yeah. Alec is one of the main characters. By the way, do you guys know how all these main characters were created to begin with? Uh, in somebody's brain, yeah. When when two people love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing: Ty Frank was actually uh, doing a role playing game back in the day, and oh yeah, he, he had people create these characters as uh, role playing characters or whatever you want to call them. And so he did not, and and uh, the co author was his name, Dan. He did not create these characters. These characters were created by other people. Now they're given credit. It's not like uh, S.A. Corey has taken these characters and said we created them. So these, the actual creators, are given the appropriate credit. But they were created for a game. 
And originally, The Expanse was meant to become a video game. Well, at first, but then they were going to go video game. It was not optioned that way. So that's why they started going down the TV road. And that's when Alcon picked them up. But like even Shet, who died way back in season one, he was created as one of the main characters. And the reason why Shed dies in the story is because the person playing Shed had other things he or she, I forget who created the character, had to do. So they asked for the character to be written out of the story. So that is why Shed died. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it was all it was all based off of the uh, not based off of a tabletop game, but it was like they were yeah, tabletop characters. I remember reading something about that. All right, I got a question. So what happened to Dawes? We keep hearing he about died. Dawes. When did he die? Season six. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Episode two, season six. It's mentioned. It's, <laughs> it's mentioned, but not. And and here's the yeah. thing. They, they wanted you're... to get Jared Harris back on the show. So they kept his character in the background all the way into season six. But because Jared is such a busy actor that they could not get his time to come back. He actually wanted to come back and do the show, but they couldn't get his time synced up to a time that they would need him to shoot. So he never made it back. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, he just kind of disappears. <laughs> Name only. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they mention him several times in this yeah. episode or in this season, yeah. but you never see him. And you figure, you know, he's running Sirius Station at this point. He would be like one of the main players. Yeah. It was just odd that we haven't seen him since like season three. I was wondering if it was, you know, Amazon wasn't going to give him enough money to be on the show or something like nope, that. But not yeah, at all. It was just simply timing. Time, he actually yeah. would have loved to come back to do it for free. I mean, as an actor, you can't do that, but he just couldn't get his timing linked out. I mean, if you take a look at his IMDb, he's been in a ton of stuff. When they first got him for The Expanse, it was at a lull in his filming career and just his schedule and so they just lucked into getting him and he was an amazing casting for the part but then he just couldn't make it into his schedule because he had other things going on and one of the reasons why jared harris is such an amazing actor is he's constantly in the zone you'll hear a lot about some of the actors in hollywood taking time off or toronto or vancouver where they are taking time off and then when they come back it's a little bit more difficult for them to get back into the roles that they are playing be just because they haven't done it a lot. And Jarrett's just in a point in his career where he is continually filming to stay in that zone because he is on top of his game. All right. Final thoughts. Um, it was, it was a good season. It was slow. Uh, but I think it was, it was a nice change of pace. Um, you know, but, uh, it's still worth it. All right, I got a couple of things. First of all, Naomi, a uh, complete character swap in this season up until the end when she's on the chat trying to make things work. This crying Naomi thing did not work for me. I don't know if it bugged you guys, but it bugged me quite a bit. That's that's how it was in the book. She, uh, Yeah, she's she's a completely different person when with Marcos around. Uh, and, and they mentioned that in the book in terms of, you know, because you get to hear her her inner monologue and she's basically right back where she was back when Philip was a baby. Uh, her mind just goes there. Um, and, and it, I think it was in an effort to play to Marcos's ability, uh, smooth talking Marco. Marcos, 
It's Marco. Why Marco? His name is Marco, so his possessive would be Marcos. So it plays to Marcososis's smooth talking (laughs) abilities. Uh, You kept calling him Marcos, and then you said Marcoses. Yeah, Marcoses. It's Marco. No, his name is Marcos. Or Marcos. Yeah, Marcos is his name. Marco Anaros. No, Marco Anaros. No. Are you no sure? S. No. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm pretty sure there's no S. No, it's Marcos. Go oh, ahead, man. research on we're the looking, fly. And we're looking. while you're doing that, I want to talk about Drummer and her change. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Marco Anaros. No, it's Marco Anaros. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Let Marco. Me, no, let me edit uh, Wikipedia Polo. real quick. All right. right, Let's talk about drummer. She has uh, also kind of a character flip and then she gets back to it at the end of the season, but she does an unusual thing in that she doesn't want to do what hasn't worked. Uh, Being a pirate hasn't worked. Being uh, working for earthers hasn't worked. So she sets out to do her own claim. And instead of being the tough captain of a crew, she tries this polyamorous crew relationship and it's just a different way of of looking at things but it also makes some really tough choices near the end when they've done the crew swap because basically her decision to save uh miller and hold or holden and the rasanati at the end killed search her one crew member or family member and that was pretty difficult but also with that, I want to say that last season I was totally on board with all the new characters. This season I was not. This Her deputy, what was her name, Oksana or something like that, she was really getting underneath my skin as well because it was just all raw emotion. And I guess that's one of the problems I have with this season is the raw emotion was the driving factor for a lot of this. And I'm sorry, I just... It's like teen angst to me. If you just make a movie about raw emotion, might as well make it a chick flick because it's just not going to work for me. I'm okay with some emotional scenes and some emotionally driven characters, but when the entire season is emotionally driven, it gets to be a little bit dragging, which is what happened here. There was a lot of love going around. Also, I want to say, I think, and you guys could differ with me or whatever, but the CGI in season five is the best CGI of this entire series to date. And I really liked some of it. So it was contrasting between the emotional garbage that I could care less about and the really good CGI. Did you like guys like the CGI? I mean, I didn't notice just a, an increase in quality, that much of an increase in quality over previous seasons. I mean, it's, it's been pretty spot on throughout the entire series. So I didn't notice, I mean, just it didn't strike me as being that much better than previous seasons. So I didn't, I didn't notice. No. Some of it is in the background. Some of it, like all the trains on Mars and Tycho and Luna, that was not in season one where you did get a tube, but you didn't get the view from inside the tube because, well, there was nothing there but rocks here. You're seeing the expanse around it. And it was just done differently. And that was one example. 
when the lazy songbird landed on Luna, that was the ship that Amos took to the moon or to Earth. That mm-hmm. was pretty nice because you saw the entirety of the lunar colony, whatever it's called. We'll just call it Luna or Luna One or something the, like that. It's Love It. Uh, the Love It Station. Yeah, Love It Station. Jim Love It. Jim Love It, yeah. Okay. So that was pretty cool. Uh, the asteroid hit was decent. I mean, really all you got to see from that close-up was the fishermen on the shoreline. But then you saw the pan out shots from space or whatever. But just that scene of the fisherman, who I thought was Charles, which was Lydia's uh, significant other, but it wasn't. But I thought it was Charles when I first saw it. And that was pretty nicely done. And uh, you guys have any other special scenes that you can recall from the CGI standpoint? I really liked the battle scene between the Rosinanti and the other four ships. Yeah, the, was, the twist. That was that was really nice. That well, there was, was really nice. There was two different ones. There's the Zemaya battle with the Rossi where you had all the torpedoes around it and it was shooting right. the PDCs. And so, he, he went into a spin to bring the PDCs to bear because one of them had jammed. That was really cool. But now the the, the big battle between the three uh, ships where the Rosinanti kind of just went past went through their their blockade and then uh, drummer blew up that one ship from behind I, th- I thought the I thought the CGI and the cinematography work on that was really good that was my number one favorite CGI te- scene from the the season here the next one was I don't know what this is is it a bomb or is it like living entities the black bomb destruction of the Barkeith at the Lakotoyo ring at yeah. the very end. The Martians. Oh, oh, that's, oh! That's, yeah. So that's yeah. the those are the entities that that killed the proto molecule. They they live in another dimension in between the 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 portal, or you you kind of see them in the portals, and that comes into play in in uh, season six. I have a theory about Way them. To spoil it. <laughs> I said it comes into play. You don't know how. I mean, they already foreshadowed it at the end of season five. You know that's going to come into play somehow. Yeah, I know. My theory on that is that they are, it's like antimatter with matter and that they're fighting for the same base universal energy. And that is why they're at each other's throats between the creators and the black entities, whatever. That's my theory. So I haven't, yeah. And I haven't read any, uh, I haven't read any of the books past uh, the Laconia uh, incursion stuff. So basically the 30 year jump, I read that book and I haven't read the others. And in the books, they haven't touched on that black hole since Illus. Um, in the, in the books, uh, ships disappeared. Um, but it turns out to be basically it's, um, it's an, uh, surge protector. Um, so too much stuff going through the rings, uh, all at once and, and they reset themselves. So, and they figure that out and basically they know to, uh, you know, give some time in between things because ships were starting to disappear, not just to Laconia, but like other, other rings. Um, they would just, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't make it through. Uh, and they, they, 
equated that to like a surge. So basically, the rings were having to reset because too much energy was going through them. So I don't know if that comes into play in season six or not because I haven't watched it. But uh, the whole aspect of the black hole entity thing never is never really talked about again. Right. Um, and so I think it's a continuing source for these authors to make more books and they're eventually going to get to the explanation. So that's the explanation I would go through. Well, I think they're done. Uh, for now, for yeah. now, I guess. But, you know, when the money train backs up, they'll make more. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so n the number one CGI scene would be the battle at the end that we were talking about. And my number two would be that black bomb destruction of the Barkeith. The number three would be the Zemaya battle with the Rossi. We talked about that. Number four would be Naomi's suitless transfer from the Pella to the Chet. And don't ask me ever to say the name of that ship because I don't know how to say it. I'll just say the Chet. And then number five would be a combination. It was in episodes five and six when Alex was outflying the missile by ejecting the core. And I uh, maybe Rob, you have some more insight on that because they seem to be flying fine after the fact. Yeah, I, I was curious about that too. How did I they eject know. their core and still have an engine to to run? I was uh, thinking maybe so it was just a it fuel a, rod. I don't know, yeah, or or maybe they've got two cores. Yeah, maybe um, it it being a racing ship. I don't remember in the books how they got away from that. Uh, but with it being a racing ship, I would think they would have a redundancy because they are they are going hard, right? Maybe that makes stage. Sense stage one quarter and then when that when all the few rods get expended they can eject it yeah. and go to a phase two core or something like maybe, that maybe okay. maybe so that was in episode five in episode six when the razorback was escaping from the pirates right there where bobby is literally holding the ships together that was pretty cool so anyway that's number five number six was the robot the crab robot protomolecule heist I got to believe a lot of that was CGI. I don't think that robot exists in real life today, but maybe yeah, I'm I don't wrong. Either. And then number seven is the escape from the island with the shuttle. And you're like, why is that CGI? Well, it was a really good action sequence. That's for sure. But then when it lifted off, you had the fire going down the tunnel and then you had the, the shot of it lifting up. So. I put that as number seven, then eight, nine, and 10, where the asteroid hit the lazy songbird landing on Luna and the trains on all the other places. So I think that the background CGI in season five is well above what was done before when you're talking all of the uh, look at the solar system and the flight paths and then just everything in, in just the scenes. There was notable CGI in all of the scenes. So. I was just thinking it was more than before, but maybe I'm wrong. All right. One more question before we get into uh, haikus and awards. If if Rob's got his haiku written at this it's, point. It's ready. It's ready. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. You ready? This is, uh, No. Oh. No. Uh, I said one more question. Oh, okay. Before, yeah. Okay, because I'm ready. Um, ready. <laughs> so how does a suborbital ship get to the moon? Are you talking uh, about UN-1? No, I'm talking about the ship that Amos and them took to get to the moon. They said it was a suborbital sub ship. I think they misspoke there. Um, I'm think in my mind, I'm thinking it was uh, it it had it had a kettle drive, 
you know what they called the you know the kettle drive regular um it didn't have an Epstein drive okay you know, so it wasn't it wasn't capable of going to other planets uh but it could get yourself to the moon a little space yacht right you know so why did they call it sub orbital again i think it was a mis misspoken it's kind of weird for a show yeah. that's gotten so much right though yeah well even if it was so suborbital right if they got like um i don't know blue origins or mercury 7 or whatever if they got to the point where they got noticed somebody could come in swoop in and tow them to a higher orbit yeah maybe I don't know. Yeah. Well, and Amos was working on it. Maybe he juiced it up a little bit. Maybe he juiced it up. Yeah. yeah. Poured Amos. some tequila in. <laughs> Pour some tequila. Yeah. All right, Rob, you're chomping at the bit. Give us a, your haiku. Oh, I don't have one. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So this one is titled The Churn. Spacewalk Sans Helmet. Smooth talker, belter, Marco. Asteroids broke Earth. Okay. Counting that out because that didn't sound right. Smooth talker, belter, Marco. That's seven. So, okay. yeah, it works. Yeah, that one was the tough one. I had to come up with that one. <laughs> that, one that, mo- that middle one there. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, it was there, 575. Five. All right. Yeah. Not my right, best uh, work, but, you know, whatever. Who's got awards? Wait. I got it. Wait. What? You got a limerick. Yes. Oh, sorry. Man, sorry. All right. He's been, he's been coming. It's just expected now. <laughs> apparently not with Jason. No, apparently not. He's just like, whatever. All right. Give us your limerick. I've titled it Return to Found Family. Rossinati crew pursue lone quests. Amos and Peaches share good slugfests. Alex was stupid. Naomi looted. Christian's last speech was well expressed. Yeah, that last speech was really inspirational, and then all shit and all hell broke loose at the ring. That was kind of a interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, you knew it was going to happen, though. All right, who's got awards? Yes, sir. Rob, who's got your black lung? Uh, I gave it to Earth. <laughs> Earth gets the black lung. All right. SP? <laughs> uh, I, can't to, I, I can't do better than that. I chose Naomi because of her, her uh, suitless transition. Yeah, that, that's who I was going to get mine was Naomi because not only did she traverse vacuum, so uh, and it looks like she got rid of her breath before she went uh, went over or yeah, went she was into ex- the vacuum. Yeah, she was exhaling. So she exhaled, and then she had to hold her breath several times to go into the crawl space um, around the hull of the ship to do various things. So, yeah, she was going to get my black lung. I do have a quabble with Sin. I think he should still be alive. I think that Philip could have closed the outer doors and repressurized fast enough to save him. Well, but he was in the outer doors. I mean, the outer doors would have crushed him. Because yeah. he had reached out to try and grab Naomi, so... Okay. 
Uh, SP, who's got your head lush? Oh, it's easy this time. It's Amos. He was always drinking something. I mean, Drummer drunk the bottle that she was going to share with Ashford, but that was just because she was emotional. Amos was just drinking just to drink. Okay, Rob? Oh, yeah, Amos. Every time he went and saw his friend, uh, he grabbed a bottle of tequila. Um, hell, he was smart enough to save one for the firefight, uh, for after the firefight, and then uh, proceeded Drop to- Drop it on the moon. Yeah, proceeded to break it. Yeah. Which, I mean, if I was Amos, I would have jumped over the edge. <laughs> it's low gravity. <laughs> he would have been all right. Well, but he would have had to have somehow accelerated himself down. He could have pushed off the pushed off the railing. Where there's a where there's a tequila bottle, there's a way. <laughs> All right, so mine's going to go to uh, drummer uh, for chugging the bottle of scotch that uh, she wanted to give to Ashford. I bet you it was actually uh, Amos. May have been, but you'll yeah. never know. Oh, yeah. All right, Rob, who's got your player? I gave it to Marco uh, for um, basically playing against Philip's emotions for his mother and 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 all that, making him feel guilty, uh, and then turning that guilt on him to be able to basically commandeer a ship and uh, set it up as a bomb. Um, he just he knows that Philip's always looking for approval, and he makes sure that. Uh, he holds it out there just enough as a carrot. Okay. SP? I'm going to go with Eric. I mean, he one-handed, literally, corralled all crime in Baltimore. And then he saw his chance and had to be convinced of it, but saw his chance and he took it. And then now is going to run all crime on the moon. So, yeah, I'll give it to Eric for doing all that. And he did say that he had been with quite a bit of woman in his life so he's got that going for him too all right uh so mine is gonna go to uh drummers xo i can't remember that character's name but spelled o-k-s-a-n-a i don't know how you pronounce it that's how it's spelled okasana something like that okay uh, so she's going to get mine. Uh, she basically convinced drummer to join the person that she hates the most, the person that killed like her mentor, uh, in Ashford, um, to join up with him. And, you know, it was, it was her being put to the test on whether she was going to kill a person that, uh, she considered a friend or not, uh, that, that, that finally, cleared her head and, and made her make the, the, the right choice after that. So, but she played her, uh, so she's getting my player award. All right. SP, who's got your purple hippo. I will go with sec secretary general David pastor, because he was definitely way above where he should have been and just deciding to go attack another planet or palace asteroid, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'll give that to him. He was just delusional in his ways that he was going to try to run the world. All right, Rob? Uh, I gave it to, uh, I'm going to give it to Bar Keith uh, commanders, basically, for getting black hold, going through that <laughs> ring and seeing all those swirly <laughs> things. Um, you know, that that's going to mess with you. Here you think you're going to Laconia and having a, 
you know, starting the next master race what or what have you. And nope, nope, I'm getting eaten by uh, space eels. Lieutenant Babbage was so submissive to him. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That was... Very, yeah. Oh. So did that happen in the books? Uh, so Babbage and that other dude were in there, yes, um, and they were part of the whole plot and everything, um, but you, you never, they never do the whole uh, black hole thing, like I said. Um, I can't remember offhand if they made it through or not uh, into the into the next series. Um but I do know that you know, yeah, they gave they gave ships away and everything, and then they went to the through the rings and all that kind of good stuff. But their ship getting destroyed, I don't traversing recall, the ring. I don't recall whether or not that happened. Okay, because as best I can remember, none of the ships getting destroyed type of things happened until what essentially would be the next season. Um, they they didn't bring that up during this whole free navy thing. Uh, because it, uh, it, it had happened. Okay. So spoiler in the books, uh, Holden is actually at the, uh, uh, behemoth. Was it Meridian Meridian station? No, no. What's the behemoth now? Um, come on, he, you can do it. Look, Medina? I, Medina, Medina, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he is at Medina in the books when, uh, people come through 30 years later. And that's also when they start trying to figure out what's going on with people disappearing. If I remember. Oh, correctly. so the disappearing stuff doesn't happen until the 30 year later jump. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So season six is okay. Yeah, they well, they've kind season of, six will be interesting then. Yeah, yeah. Now, and I can't. Those those ones aren't for even though I've read those the latest, they're not as fresh in my mind uh, as as some of these other uh, books were. Okay. But, so, um, and I forgot. Oh, yeah. So purple my purple hippo, hippo is going to go to uh, Naomi uh, for jumping out of an airlock onto another ship. Uh, that had to have been just some sort of, of special kind of crazy uh, to do that. Some, I mean, sure, she was desperate. Um, but, yeah, that, that had to have been a trippy experience. Yeah, and to get to the point where that is your only option. Oh, yeah. I mean, she, she couldn't good. find a fucking suit someplace on this well, ship. Well, in okay, so in in the books, they specifically uh, had all the suits under lock and key, so that she couldn't try to escape. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Like she was trying in the books, she was trying to get to suits, and she could never. Uh, they were following her around a lot more in the books, and and she could never find a way to steal a suit. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, next episode, we are going to be discussing the final season of the Expanse series, season six. It's a short one. It's only six episodes, um, but it's it's a it's a pretty good cherry on top of the season. I especially like how they ended it. Uh, they ended it up on a pretty good note. So, uh, SP, thanks for being on again. Um, I hope the uh, judge continues to um, force Hand you to be on me. the show. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, where can the people find you? 
You can find me on my other show, Legends of Shield, which is at legendsofshield.com. We are going to be talking all about Moon Knight by the time the show comes out. Hopefully the first episode, maybe the second episode, will be out. Our review of the first couple episodes of Moon Knight, the new series, new Marvel Studios series on Disney+. Plus. Oh yeah, that's coming out. Yep. All right, yep. well. That's all we've got for this episode. Our intro and outro music is Welcome Home by Cambo. Podcrawl music is Snack Mix by Machette. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Rob, you can leave you us feedback on our Discord channel at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com oh, yeah. forward slash Discord. On Twitter yeah, at Sex underscore podcast. You can email us at smokinganddrinkinginspace.com. If you'd like to throw a few nickels our way, you can become a Patreon supporter by going to smokinganddrinkinginspace.com forward slash Patreon. And, and make sure to visit Creative Brain Candy for great shows nice. and other creative works at creativebraincandy.com. For this week, I'm Jason. Mm. Monica. Yeah. Sorry, we were talking about Monica and it put me in a weird place. You're always in a weird place. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we'll talk to you next episode. You don't even Bye. let him say goodbye? Wow. He, Just like, it was burr. silent. Burr. <laughs> I was waiting for a lead-in. Bye, everyone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Smoking and Drinking in Space. This is a sci-fi podcast from a couple guys who think they know sci-fi. And this week, we discuss the penultimate season of the sci-fi series that showed us the power of blue goo, starring betrayal, budding awkward romances, and the bins, as well as more rock throwing at season five of The Expanse. And these, the asshole who likes to eat fudge rounds and is an old mechanic who does all the wrong things for what he thinks are the right reasons and gets him a hit in the... God damn it. I gotta fucking do that over. <laughs> well God done, damn Rob. It, I hate you. I'm gonna have to take another bite? I mean, I thought that was a little early myself, but, you know, whatever, Rob. Well, you know, sometimes <sighs> I come a little early. <laughs>